So I'm walking down the road. It's about 12:30 in the afternoon. There are people just everywhere carrying these umbrellas that are like eye level with me. So every time I turn around, I'm having to dodge the little metal pokey things sticking out of the umbrellas. And I finally like make my way through the sea of people up to the ticket counter, and they tell me that they're sold out. They have sold 80,000 tickets in three and a half hours. I kind of just laugh. I turn around and I walk away to leave, and I'm just like, well, just another day in Beijing, China. And welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here again today. Uh, if you've been listening for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about my backpacking trip to Southeast Asia that I took a couple summers ago. Um, and so far, we've talked about quite a few of the locations that I visited. Uh, we've talked about Indonesia, Nepal, India, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, and Laos. And today is actually going to be the final episode um, that's going to be talking about each location. Um, I have a couple other episodes that I'm going to do kind of concerning this trip as a whole. Uh, but today's final location is going to be China. It's where I ended the trip. Um, and it was a great way to finish off this Asia backpacking trip. Um, you know, the entire summer was pretty crazy from start to finish. Uh, and, you know, China just fit right in um, and was a great addition to this trip. Uh, now, there's a couple things before you even get to China that you should be aware of. Uh, and right off the bat is how expensive the visas for China are. Um, visas uh, to China, almost every country or every passport needs one. Um, and they're going to be one of the most expensive visas that you're going to find. I think when I was um, traveling, it was about $100, $150 for a visa. Um, but they actually have transit visas that you can get. Um, and they're available for certain locations. So there's like maybe six or seven different airports in China um, that offer transit visas. And they last anywhere from 24 um, to 144 hours, depending on you know, your passport and which location you're visiting. Now, there's a couple, you know, fine print details that you need to know. Um, the first one is that to be eligible for this transit visa, um, you cannot have a layover in any other city in China. Um, so in my case, I flew to Beijing um, and I was flying from Luang Prabang and Laos uh, to China and then from China back to the United States. Uh, and every, every ticket, every airline flight that I could find, you know, would fly from Luang Prabang to a little tiny airport in China somewhere and then to Beijing. Um, and I'm not really sure why that was the case. I mean, it wasn't that long of a flight, like maybe three hours from Laos to Beijing. Um, but I had to really dig to find a flight uh, that did not stop somewhere else in China. Because if I had landed in a small airport in China and then flown to Beijing, I would have been ineligible for that transit visa. So I ended up having to fly from Laos back to Thailand and then Thailand to Beijing and then Beijing to San Francisco. So make sure um, you are you know, looking for all those transfers uh, within your ticket. I did have to pay a little bit extra um, in order to make this work, but it was definitely cheaper than having to shell out $150 or whatever it was for um, the visa there. 
Um, so with that being said, I definitely look into whether um, the place that you're visiting offers those. I believe the main cities like Beijing and Shanghai, they all offer them. Um, and then some of the smaller ones do as well. Now, for the most part, you have to stay within that city. Um, while you're there, you also have to have proof that you are transferring out of China within the certain amount of days. Um, but all in all, it was a pretty easy process. I thought it would be more difficult to get this uh, transit visa. Uh, but really, you just go up to a counter, fill out a piece of paper, show them your onward ticket. Um, and, you know, it was as easy as that. Uh, I did have a few airports, you know, in my trip, a few customs immigrations officers who did not stamp my passport. Uh, like I would have a visa and I wouldn't get it stamped or things like that. But make sure that when you're in the Chinese airport and you're in immigration, you get it stamped because there are multiple places within China where they do check your passport and they look for the, the for those stamps. Uh, and if you don't have them, I would not want to be in that position. So just make sure that the immigration officer does stamp your passport as you go through customs um, and you'll have no worries. But definitely check out that transit visa that was, you know, I was really debating whether or not I should go to China. And then I, you know, I ran across that free visa uh, and, you know, that was definitely all the persuasion I needed. And it was a great stop. I definitely enjoyed my time there. Um, so funny story, when I was in the Beijing airport, it's one of the largest airports in the world. I believe it's like the second largest airport. Um, you know, the entire time I was on this trip, I just used my debit card. And whenever I landed at a location, I would just find an ATM and I would get out, you know, money for, I'd usually get out a couple days worth of money. And then if I still needed more, I would be able to kind of calculate how much I needed to finish out my time in that country. Um, or either I would just use that first amount for the whole trip. Um, and that worked pretty pretty well. Uh, it alleviates having to carry around large amounts of cash. Um, I think I had to pay like $5 per ATM transaction. Um, so, you know, it's not that cheap, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty simple to do. And so I just, I always do that whenever I travel. It's just pretty simple. Um, so I had had no problems. I mean, there were a couple times where I might have you know, I had my card rejected at ATM and I would just move over to the next one and it would work there. Um, obviously call your bank ahead of time, let them know so that you don't get your, your bank, uh, your bank card declined the very first stop and then you're, you're out of luck for the next, you know, six weeks or whatever. Um, but anyways, I, I'm in Beijing and I go to the first ATM I find. And I mean, this is a huge concourse. I mean, it's probably a hundred yards at least long. And so I find the first little ATM group and I literally try every single ATM in that little vestibule. There's probably like four in there and they all decline my card. They say that my card will not work there. And it's a visa. It literally works at every ATM I've ever tried before. So I'm like, well, this is interesting. So I leave that little vestibule and I walk down the concourse some more and I find some more ATMs. So I go, I try those, all of them decline my card again. There's probably 20 ATMs in this one concourse, and I swear I probably tried 18 of them before I finally got to one that gave me money. Um, and I was definitely sweating bullets there towards the end because I would, I mean, if I can't get money out of ATM, I suppose I could use my credit card. I always carry my credit card as well. Um, but I'd just never been in that position where, you know, I wasn't able to get money out. Um, and, you know, a million 
thoughts were racing through my head of, oh no, what am I going to do, you know, to get through this if I don't have, you know, any cash. Um, but it all worked out um, in the end. So I'm not sure if that was just my card. I'd never really had an issue like that before in any of my other stops or if it was China specifically, um, but just a heads up there. Um, another thing about Beijing, which I'm sure, and China in general, and I'm sure I'll bring this up a little bit more, um, but it is like a communist country, and it's very, um, it's it's very interesting. I'd never experienced a culture um, or a country just in general that was like this. Uh, it was very. I felt like you like were being watched all the time. Um, there were places where I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, it was really weird, just sort of like the atmosphere um, and sort of the vibes that I got while I was in uh, in China. Very interesting. It was cool to experience, um, but really strange. Um, and one of the first things that kind of tipped me off about this um, was the fact that you have to have a VPN blocker on your phone. Uh, so I get to my hostel the very first morning. And so I check in and, you know, I'm out on the town all day long and I go back to the hostel that night and I'm laying there like I'm trying to get on my phone and like nothing's loading, like Snapchat, Instagram, emails, like nothing is loading. And so I'm like, are you serious? Like this is some, this is like a nice hostel and you just have this crappy Wi-Fi. So I go up to the front desk and I'm like, like, what's wrong with your Wi-Fi? Am I doing something wrong? Like nothing, like not even emails are loading. And they're just like, oh, you have to download a VPN blocker because the government's like blocking all these apps. And I'm like, that's something I've never experienced before. And the government is blocking Gmail. Interesting. Uh, but even more interesting than that is the fact that it's so easy to get around these government blockades. You can just download a VPN and you're good to go. Now, I think I just went on the app store and found one that had like a week-long free trial or something and then I forgot to delete it once I left China and so I ended up having to pay for it anyways um, so that kind of sucked but <laughs> you know whatever just um, you can find cheap uh, VPNs online um, no big deal but just make sure you have one of those before you go and complain about the internet because they'll probably just stare at you and look at you like you're stupid um, okay so things to do in Beijing Take the metro. Um, I took the metro from the airport um, to downtown. Super easy to figure out. Um, also, uh, you know, I like to walk around cities. I feel like I can get a good, you know, view of the city and kind of just explore it at my own pace uh, if I'm just walking here or there. But Beijing is huge. Um, I walked from my hostel to like the Forbidden City the very first day, uh, and it was a couple mile uh, trek. Uh, and so, you know, I did get to see the city a little bit, but then I was walking home that night and, you know, it was like so hot and humid and I see an entrance for a subway and I'm just like, you know what? I think I'll spend 50 cents to ride in the AC back to my hospital. <laughs> so I took the Metro. It's super easy to figure out. I think there's like two loops that the Metro takes. Um, so there's like two separate trains, um, but super easy to figure out. It's not too expensive and Beijing is a big city, so I definitely recommend taking the metro um, if you can. Um, all right, so things to do in Beijing. Uh, there's quite a bit, obviously. I was only there for a few days. Um, but the main thing that I recommend doing is going to Jingshan Park. 
Um, it's right across the street from the Forbidden City. It is like a public park. You have to pay like maybe 50 cents or something to get inside. You have to buy a ticket. Um, but honestly, it was not that expensive and it was really cool. Um, it offers a great view for the Forbidden City. Um, you can get you know some elevation to see the whole thing. Um, and there's also like this super interesting palace in the back of the park where when I was there, like no one else was at the palace with me. So I kind of had it by myself. It wasn't too crowded. Um, so very cool. There's also this tree in the park where some emperor had hanged himself. Um, but apparently that tree got chopped down or fell over or died or something. And they planted a different tree a few hundred years ago. And so now there's a plaque for that tree. And so when I figured that out, like I've walked around the park for like an hour trying to find this tree. And then I finally saw this plaque that said, this isn't even the real tree. And I'm like, why is this even recognized as something cool to see? Um, so if you want to see a tree that's in place of a cool tree, feel free. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Now, one thing you're going to notice about Beijing, at least, um, is how hazy it is. Um, there's so much pollution there. It's pretty crazy. Um, when I first landed in Beijing, I got off the plane and I was just walking down the concourse and you could like barely see the planes on the tarmac because of how hazy it was. Um, and whenever I was walking that first day, I landed in the morning. Uh, and so I immediately like dropped off my bags in my hostel and then went to the Jingchon Park. Um, and like you could barely see the Forbidden City right across the street. Um, and just walking down the street, you could see the haze just like wafting down the street. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, I'd never seen pollution and like smog that thick. Um, so pretty crazy, but it does kind of move in and out. The second day I was there, it was pretty clear. Um, and I actually went back to Jingshan Park the second day. Uh, and the reason I did that was something else that I'm going to recommend to go see um, is the Forbidden City. Um, the Forbidden City is a huge complex and you know I was at the end of my trip I was pretty exhausted I was kind of uh, you know kind of just relaxing a little bit I wasn't my HIFO 24-7 self um, and so I slept in kind of late and you know I was told they sell about 80,000 tickets a day so I wasn't really concerned about getting there early. So I get up, I take the metro down to the Forbidden City, and it's about 12.30, um, And so I get to the Forbidden City, and they are sold out. They have sold 80,000 tickets in like four hours. Now, obviously, there's tour groups and things like that that buy ahead of time, but it looked like there are like 79,000 people there. It was crazy. Um, and so... You know, I cannot speak from experience of actually going inside the Forbidden City, um, but just from being outside, there were so many people there. It was so crowded and hectic. Um, I'm not like ginormously tall or anything, but everyone there carries around these umbrellas. And so all like the little metal pointy things that come out of an umbrella were just pointed right at my eye level. Um, and so I was like dodging umbrellas left and right, like trying not to get my eyeballs poked out. And I was like, if this is what the Forbidden City is like the whole time, like, I'm glad I'm not going. And, you know, obviously, if there was a ticket, I would have bought it. I would have gone inside. 
Uh, but I have heard from people who did go that it's it's kind of really crowded. It's kind of obnoxious. Um, and so if Chinese culture in the Forbidden City is not, you know, like on your bucket list of things you have to do, uh, you might want to skip it and just go to Jingshan Park. I went back to Jingshan Park because it was a clear day, climbed up to the top to see the view, and I was able to see the entire Forbidden City then um, at that point. So um, if you do have multiple days in Beijing and there's you know, like polluted days, um, try to go on a clear day because it was definitely a better view. Um, but, you know, Jingshan Park during, you know, like a cloudy bad weather day was also pretty nice as well. Um, the Forbidden City, it's going to be pretty crazy. And if you do want tickets, either go super early, like when they open, or try and get them ahead of time um, as well. Because 80,000 tickets before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, that's pretty ridiculous. So just plan ahead. I did not plan ahead for that. Um, but, you know, all in all, I really... You know, I'm not kicking myself that I didn't go to the Forbidden City. Um, okay, so also Tiananmen Square. Um, Tiananmen Square is pretty, pretty eye-opening. Um, there's so much security there. This is one of the places where they do check your passports. You have to go through like metal detectors, things like that. Um, and it was it was pretty interesting. I mean, there's squares all over the world that I feel like are. Um, historically significant, like in in Russia, there's squares, and in uh, Cairo, there's the the square there. Um, but I feel like Tiananmen Square is probably like one of the most important um, historically. Um, and so just being there, and I've you know growing up, I've seen on the news whenever China's in the news, I feel like they show Tiananmen Square, and there's those painted portraits of the leaders up there on the wall. Um, so just being there in the square was pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of monuments in the square and things like that to check out. Um, and there's also, there's a ton of military presence there. And this was really interesting to me because, um, there would be like, uh, guards, like the military on sort of like these glass pedestals just sitting there in the, or standing there in the square. Um, uh, it was really interesting. They were just kind of standing there almost like, um, the guard at the Tomb of the Unknowns, it was almost like that setup, but they were just like positioned throughout the square and they were all like really young looking um, and none of them had weapons. And I was later told that they really just, none of these people are armed. They're all like 18 or 17 years old. And it's really just there to show their force, almost just like, look how many people we have protecting you. Like we're just such a huge... Um, army. Um, and so, you know, it kind of makes the people there feel protected, even though there's no weapons, um, or they might not even be trained whatsoever, but it's just like the numbers of the amount of people that they have in the army, um, sort of protecting that area or securing that, that place, um, is supposed to kind of just like, you know, rouse your patriotism towards China. Now, so that was really interesting, something I'd never experienced before, um, and it was it was pretty pretty crazy. Uh, the only time I saw a gun in all of China when it was when I was leaving, and there was a like a police officer inside the airport with a sawed-off shotgun, and I was like, that's probably the worst weapon that you could possibly have in a crowded a crowded place. Um, but that was literally the only gun I saw in all of China. 
So rather interesting. Um, but Tiananmen Square is really cool. I definitely recommend you going there. Um, make sure that when you're ready to leave, you are ready to leave because um, I, as soon as I walked into Tiananmen Square the first time, I saw where you could walk through um, like the main gates into the Forbidden City. And so I was like, huh, like what's in there? Let's go check it out. And so I kind of go down this walkway. You can go through the, these big gates into um, the Forbidden City sort of like courtyard area. And they had like um, some military out there doing maneuvers. And so I kind of just like stood around for like maybe 10, 15 minutes just hanging out, watching. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to turn around and go back into the square and come to find out it was like a one-way street. And so I had to like leave and then walk like a mile all the way back around to where I'd come into Tiananmen Square to begin with. And then I had to like go through security and do all that stuff again. Um, so just be, just be aware of that. Um, but you know, even though I did have to like show ID and do all this kind of stuff, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and you know, as long as you have all your stuff together, I definitely recommend taking your passport everywhere you go in China. It just seems like a good idea. Um, also in Beijing, I would recommend checking out the Olympic Center. Uh, it's pretty cool. I honestly thought I was going to be like one of the only tourists there. I really didn't think it was going to be that crowded. I thought it was going to be something like, oh, I'm going to think this is cool, but no one else is really going to be interested in it, so I'll just be there by myself. Uh, but it was actually really touristy. You could take tours there. They had gift shops, um, all kinds of stuff like that. I didn't realize this, but they have like the Winter Olympics that are going to be there in a couple years, and so that might have added to it a little bit. But, I mean, the, the Beijing Olympic complex is pretty iconic. I mean, you have... Um, the Aquatic Cube Center, I believe that's where Michael Phelps like won all of his gold medals um, and like set the Olympic world record. And um, they also have like the Bird Nest uh, Athletic Center there, or like the stadium, which is pretty cool. So all in all, it's like maybe a 30-minute metro ride um, from downtown, but it's it's pretty cool. And I definitely would recommend walking around the complex. Okay, um, also, before I get to the main event, uh, one of the coolest things I did there was I went and had a pecking duck, and this thing was phenomenal. Like, honestly, probably the best meal I had on the entire trip. Um, they roast an entire duck, they come carve it at your table, um, and it's the most delicious thing that you will ever have. Uh, they like split the meat into three different parts. They give you like the crispy the skin and then they give you like the lean cut of meat and then they give you sort of the fatty uh, part of the meat. Um, and then you kind of put it in this like this really thin tortilla, sort of like a crepe thing. And they have this chocolate soy sauce stuff and cucumbers and you like make a little taco out of it and it is amazing. Uh, I ate the entire duck, and I was not mad about it. It was definitely the best meal I had had in, like, eight weeks. Um, so it was kind of expensive. I think it was maybe, like, 30, 25, 30 U.S. dollars, but totally worth it, and I think that's, like, a Chinese thing. So definitely recommend um, trying out a pecking duck um, while you are there. Okay, so... Finally, uh, definitely want to check out the Great Wall. Uh, it's one of the new seven wonders of the world, and rightfully so. 
Now, this is one of the times where I did take a guided tour, and there were quite a few reasons that I did this. Um, you know, for the most part, it was maybe an hour, it was about two, two and a half hours away from downtown Beijing. Um, and so normally, you know, I would take a private driver, I would rent a car, it wouldn't that be that big of a deal. I'd be able to figure this out for myself, um, and it would be a cool solo thing to do. Um, have the Great Wall of China by yourself. Um, but since I was in China, especially since I was on this transit visa, most of the transit visas require that you stay within the city. So like if you get the transit visa for Shanghai, you have to stay inside Shanghai. You're not allowed to leave. Um, in Beijing, you're allowed to leave the city, but there's like this zone that you have to stay in. Um, and so I booked a particular tour that was for transit visa holders. Um, and so the main reason that I did this was not because I didn't think I could figure out how to do, you know, how to get to the Great Wall of China and how to kind of trek on it by myself, but really I didn't want to risk accidentally leaving this zone that I was supposed to stay in um, and somehow getting in trouble. China was not a place where I felt like uh, a little adventurous about you know breaking some rules and figuring out how far I could get. Um, this was a place where I really wanted to you know cross my T's and dot my I's and make sure that I was following everything as precise as possible. So if you are on a transit visa, you know I definitely think it's doable to do something like this yourself. Um, but just to be on the safe side, I would recommend taking a guided tour. Um, if you're not on a transit visa, then sure, go for it yourself. Um, but you have to stay within this certain area. And so to make sure that you're not sort of breaking any laws or anything by accidentally going a mile outside of it or whatever, uh, I would definitely recommend um, getting a tour specific for transit visas. Um, now, there's multiple different treks that you can do. I mean, there's a bunch of different sections of the wall. And they range all the way from completely restored sections of the wall to like completely natural and ruined portions of the wall. And I really wanted to see a little bit of all of it, but I did want to see mainly like the ruined original part of the wall. And so I had originally planned to go on the Jenku Mutenyu portion of the wall. It's a stretch. Um, a couple miles long and I'll put that in the description because I'm sure I did not say it correctly um, But about a week or two before I was supposed to go on the tour There were like forest fires around that area and so they closed it down and instead they put me on a tour for the Jin Shiling portion of the wall This turned out to be great as well, and it's one of the more popular portions of the wall um, but it was amazing there was a lot of parts of the wall that were in total ruin uh, but then towards the end of it when you get to the main entrance where all the tour groups show up um, it was completely restored um, and you know looked brand new so i definitely recommend doing a trek if you're going to visit the great wall and not just go to the great wall um, because i hiked about three and a half miles on the wall and so they dropped us off um, at the east entrance of the Jinchiling portion where not a lot of people visit. Um, and so we did about a 30 minute hike up to the wall through the mountains. And then we hiked on the actual wall for uh, about two, two and a half miles, um, a couple of hours at least. Uh, and so, you know, for about two hours, 
me, my tour guide, and this other guy who was on our tour. I didn't get a private tour, and so there was one other random person on the tour with me. Um, we all by ourselves, the three of us, hiked about two hours to the main entrance of the Gene Schilling portion. Um, and I would say about 30 minutes, maybe half a mile before we got to the actual main entrance of the Gene Schilling portion. Then we started running into tour groups, um, field trips, all that kind of stuff. So definitely, if you are visiting the Great Wall, do a trek because then there's a great possibility that you're going to see a lot of this wall by yourself. Now, the Great Wall of China is insane. It absolutely blew my mind. Um, besides the fact of just how old it is and how just how crazy it must have been to build this thing, um, it was ridiculous. You'd be standing in a guard tower. Um, on a little peak in the mountains and you would just look out into like the vast wilderness out there and there would be peaks every once in a while and you could just look as far as the eye could see and on each one of these peaks there would be this little square dot and for, at first glance you don't really think too much about it but then you start looking harder and you realize that each one of those little square dots is another guard tower from the Great Wall of China. And literally, you cannot see the end of this thing. I mean, you just look as hard as you can and you're still seeing little dots on top of each mountain just as far as you can. It is just absolutely insane that this thing is that big um, and just goes on forever. Um, so... It's definitely, you will not be disappointed visiting the Great Wall of China. It's really cool. Um, obviously, I went during the summer, and so, you know, it was all green and things like that. Um, I bet going during the winter when there's snow out there would be pretty epic as well. Uh, I mentioned that there were, like, field trips and stuff like that, and that was pretty cool because every time you'd pass a group, um, when I was there, apparently the teacher had told them to try and get as many tourists to say a certain... Um, Chinese word like hello how are you or something like that and so the first couple times I would see a group of kids they would all try and get me and the other guy on my tour to say that word uh, and so we would say it and so then by the time we finished you know we had gone through like maybe 15 little groups of kids um, and so then by the end they'd like be like hey mister hey mister and without them even saying anything I would just like turn around and like say that word and they would just get so hyped it was pretty awesome um, so, yeah, that's about most of everything I did in China. I didn't do too much, um, just those main few things. I kind of wanted to keep it chill. I was getting pretty tired by the end of my trip. Um, and so, yeah, one last thing I will recommend is, like I mentioned earlier, the Beijing airport is huge. I believe it's like the second largest airport in the world. Uh, my terminal had, or my uh, concourse had 120 gates in it. So that is ginormous, um, and it has some of the strictest security that I ran across on my trip, or ever. Um, there were quite a few different security checkpoints, um, so definitely you know, give yourself a little bit more time than you might um, going through security in other locations. So yeah, that's my time in China. I flew from Beijing to San Francisco, spent some time there. Um, one of the, a pretty cool thing about flying from China uh, back to the U.S. is you cross that international dateline. 
Uh, so at the end of my trip, if you remember when I flew to Indonesia, it took me like three days to get there because I crossed the international date line. Um, and so that basically took a day away um, or added a day, I guess you could say. Um, but going back, you lose that day. And so I took a picture and I was taking off at like four in the afternoon from China. And I landed in San Francisco on that same day at like noon. So the one time you'll be a time traveler is when you fly from China to the United States. So that was pretty cool. Um, I was bad jet lagged. Uh, I usually do not get jet lagged and I can usually you know, just stay up until like nine o'clock or whenever I want to go to bed at that location. I go to bed on time and I wake up ready to rock and roll at like nine o'clock, eight o'clock the next day. That did not happen. And I think it's because of the international dateline. I'd never crossed coming from that direction. Um, and so that really threw me off. I've stayed up like for 24 hours because I knew like I have to stay up until nine o'clock or eight o'clock in order to fall asleep. So I was up for like 24 hours, eight o'clock rolls around. I'm exhausted. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go to bed. It's going to be amazing. And I could not fall asleep to save my life. It was terrible. I think I stayed awake for like 48 hours with like two hours of sleep. Um, so that international dateline will kick your butt when it comes to jet lag. Um, but I'm going to talk about San Francisco. I went to Yosemite. I'll talk about that um, later on. I think I'm going to do a little bit more uh, with national parks, uh, throw all those in together. Just real quick, before I finish off today's episode, I do kind of want to overview um, this entire backpacking trip. Um, you know, taking a backpacking trip is phenomenal. And, you know, I did only spend a few days in each of these countries. And this was really a great way to get an overview of, you know, it allowed me to do the things that I wanted to do. But it also gave me the ideas of, hey, I want to go back to this country or, you know, I spent three days here and that's, you know, I'm good with that amount of time in that location. I definitely have a list of places that I want to return to, if at all possible. Um, and so, you know, even though I only spent a few days at each place, it was just a great time. Uh, Asia is an amazing place. It still blows my mind, even thinking back um, to the first episode that I did, that was like four weeks ago. And even thinking back all the way back then, you know, that seems like a long time ago. But then I think about when I was actually on my trip and I'm sitting there in China and, you know, eight weeks before that, two months had gone by since I had been in like trekking in Nepal or like six weeks had gone by since I had been at the Taj Mahal. Um, it was almost crazy to think that, wow, it's been two months. Like this was all one trip. It was just such a huge a vacation or you know backpacking trip that it was hard to really piece it all together and make my mind believe that it was one cohesive trip um by the end of the trek uh by the end of the backpacking trip i was already reading my past journal entries kind of reminiscing on the things that i already done uh, it was just that long of a trip um so i really you know i ran across people who had been traveling for six months 12 months 18 months um, I, I don't know if I could do that. I'm sure if I was given the opportunity, I would take it. Um, and, you know, I might even thrive throughout that experience. But two months was a great amount of time. I felt like I was able to get a lot done, experience such a wide variety. Uh, it's crazy that China, Nepal, Indonesia are not even part of the same continent, but are part of the same little tiny sub region of a continent. 
Um, they're just so distinct and unique, um, and each one has something that's just great and lovely about each individual portion of that subregion of Asia. So I definitely recommend, if you can, take an extended trip somewhere, whether it's you know two weeks, a month, two months, whatever you can do. Uh, it's just so cool to be able to experience multiple places within a trip uh, and experience different things within one trip as a whole. Um, definitely recommend Asia. It's an amazing place. Um, it's such, you know, has so much culture and history. Um, and there's something to do, you know, for everyone, whether you like temples, uh, whether you like hiking, whether you like beaches. I mean, there is something that you can find that you're just going to love to do in Asia. So with that being said, I still have a few other episodes that I'm going to do. I'm going to do an episode about backpacking in general. Um, I'm going to do a podcast about my trek in Nepal. That was 10, 10 full amazing days out there in the Himalayas. So I'm definitely going to do a, a podcast devoted solely to that. Um, but yeah, do not forget if you would like to see any pictures from any part of this trip, um, specifically China, check out my Instagram at educate your travel. I have a saved story for China. I just hit my hundredth post. So definitely check out the post too. I have some for China somewhere along there. So just scroll around till you find one. If you have any comments or questions, um, feel free to leave a comment here or on my Instagram. I'd love if you have any questions to leave those there. Um, I hopefully can get enough questions to do an episode just to answer those questions, whether it's about just travel, backpacking, solo travel, whatever it might be. I'd love to hear from you. So do not forget it is up to you to make your life interesting. So get up, get out, explore the world and take that next adventure. Thank you so much for joining me here again today. And I can't wait to catch up with you next time.